it always seemed to be a problem with the woman. The woman needed mm-hmm. to be suppressed mm-hmm. because, you know, we were a temptress to man. Mm-hmm. So it was never about the man controlling himself. It was always about the women having to control themselves. And it's really only in the last few years that I have peeled back all those layers and come to find that four-and-a-half-year-old Claire again. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio. Today, what we have for you is we have a fascinating chat with a woman named Claire Ashman. Um, Basically, Claire lived a large portion of her life, uh, I'm talking a couple of decades, in cults, in uh, most, uh, the most famous of which was a doomsday cult in, uh, in Victoria, uh, which basically, um, basically 180 doomsday preppers living on a big compound, um, being told, you know, what to think, what to say, so on and so forth. And this is her story and, um, yeah, and, and uh, everything that was involved in her crazy life. She was a lovely lady. It was actually hilarious. I walked in the door. Uh, I interviewed her in her home in Brisbane. I walked in the door and I looked at the, the kitchen table and I thought there was a big, huge feast lined up, a smorgasbord of food. And, and I thought to myself, oh, man, Claire must be having a party later. She must be having people around or something like that. Anyway, I sat down and she brings the, she brings the platter over with all this amazing food and she's like, takes the cover off and she's like, okay, here we go. You can dig in. I've prepared this for us. And we feasted for like an hour before the show even started. Then after the show was finished, she made brownies. Oh, man, it was a classic experience and she's a f- bloody awesome chick. So um, she's also got a, a lot of cool TED Talks, guys. If you look up Claire Ashman, you'll see, um, you'll see them there. So anyway, the, this show is brought to you by True Protein. Make sure you head to trueprotein.com.au. You can use the code ADVF for all your supplement needs. You'll get 10% off everything. They have, they have absolutely everything under the sun. Um, and you guys will, um, yeah, you'll really benefit from, uh, from getting on the good stuff, getting on the old uh, Australian supplements, not the Mexicans. Um, but uh, this show is also brought to you by Adventure Fit Travel. Head to www.adventurefittravel.com and you can see what we have coming up in 2019. We have uh, Everest Base Camp. We have Bali. We have Vietnam. We've got loads of cool stuff, guys. If you want 10% off the most epic experience of a lifetime, then you can head to www.adventurefittravel.com. Use the code radio at checkout. Anyway, guys, here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Cool. Well, we're rolling, so we may as well get into it. Go for it. Um, so, for those listening and watching, Claire just prepared. Uh, Claire, we're sitting with Claire Ashman. She just prepared an absolute smorgasbord for me before I, before I set the uh, cameras rolling. I've never, I've never been treated so. 
graciously. So thanks for that. Oh, you're very welcome. And yeah. you're going to have the brownie later. Yes, brownies. Brownies are brownies for, for de- uh, dessert on the way out. So um, awesome. So we're up, in, um, we're up in Brisbane here and I'm sitting with Claire Ashman. Um, Claire is author of uh, Lessons from a Cult Survivor here. She's also a multiple um, four-time TEDx speaker, yeah? Yes, four. four. Times. Yes, four. Um, knocked one out. Knocked one out of the park recently in Melbourne. She said it was the best one yet. So steer, stay, um, stay tuned for that one. So Claire, anyway, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us about who you are and you know what you do? Who I am, and what I do. Right. Well, what I do now is I'm a women's mentor and coach, and um, I'm also a public speaker. Mm-hmm. So with my business of being a women's mentor and coach, I help women be able to break through restrictions and boundaries. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's religion. It could be, you know, uh, in a restrictive relationship. It could be a job. But I have a different perspective of the world and Mm -hmm. it's about um, finding who you are. And I help to not only break the boundaries but peel back all those layers to find out who you are and who you are meant to be. Okay, cool. Um, So where did that all begin? Where did you – when did you decide that – um, it was women and helping them break through those those barriers. Where where did that all come from? Okay, well, for me, I have a photo of myself because I remember when I was four and a half and my mum changed to being completely religious. So mm-hmm. um, I remember being little and happy, adventurous and cheeky and sassy and, you know, like asking a lot of questions mm-hmm. and then – you know, my mum became really religious and then there was all these dampeners. Mm-hmm. So we weren't allowed to wear shorts and T-shirts anymore or pants oh. and then had to wear scarves on our head when we went to church. And it always seemed to be a problem with the woman. The woman needed mm-hmm. to be suppressed mm-hmm. because, you know, we were a temptress to man. Mm-hmm. So it was never about the man controlling himself. It was always about the women having to control themselves. And it's really only in the last few years that I have peeled back all those layers and come to find that four-and-a-half-year-old Claire again. Really? Yeah, because I was suppressed. Everything was suppressed, Mm -hmm. like my natural vivaciousness, my natural, you know, everything about me was suppressed because, um, you know, between my mother and then my ex-husband, you know, I talk too much, I talk too loud, I laugh too loud, I cross my legs. I talk too much. There, mm. there, I, I seem to be a horrible feeling. That's it. I was, there, mm. I was like too much. Mm. There was too much of me, so I had to bring me all that back, and that didn't make me happy inside. Mm. And then, through you know all of that religious indoctrination and manipulation over thirty years, yeah. Like I mean, when you think about it, I was suppressed and manipulated and indoctrinated for that period of time, and normally you would think that the person has disappeared, you know, yeah. like your inner self has yeah, disappeared. Yeah, the damage is, is you mm. know, irrevocable. You would imagine that would be the case in, in, for, most, for the most part. Yeah, but there was this voice inside that kept on saying, hey, you know, like I reached a point, you know, with when we were living in the cult and then my ex-husband, I honestly just reached a point where it was just like I've had enough and I literally reached that point where, well, I didn't realize it until years later, but I was numb mm-hmm. until I started thawing out. I didn't realize that. But I just reached a point where it was just like, I don't care anymore. Mm. I just don't care. I don't care what happens. Um, I, like, I don't care that I don't pray enough. I don't care that I don't sacrifice enough. I was just existing and I didn't want to live like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And then that for me was the tipping point. And then when 
I, but then looking at me, looking from the outside in, you would have looked at me and said, this girl has no choices. You know, she has no choices. I had no money. I had no bank account. Yeah. Um, I had no friends in that, like outside of that compound. It was, you know, well, I had one best friend in Melbourne, Mary, who is amazing and like we're still friends now. She's she's amazing. Um, but I didn't confide much in her because we had been told that the phone lines, because we just had the normal, you know, the normal phone. And we were told that the phone lines were um, were tapped. Right. So I didn't reveal much to her, but it was just yeah. I and so for me, it came that was the tipping point, and then I started peeling back those layers, and it's just like more. The more times I pushed and broke through, the more I found myself. Yeah, it must feel like a really huge relief and a huge weight off your shoulders. I must feel like to be able to feel comfortable in your own skin. Oh, yeah, it, it does. You know, I'm reading the diary of Anne Frank at the moment. Um, and it's, just a, it's just a diary of a 13-year-old girl in, in you know, the Holocaust and the diary is basically about her not feeling comfortable and her, her feeling like she's always doing something wrong or her feeling that she's always the one that's underappreciated and the one that's unloved and, mm. you know, so many people today probably – Deep down, feel like that, and it must be bloody terrible. So I can imagine it must have been like you know breaking the shackles when you when you started to. So about how it's I don't know how to pull this story together. So whether we go back to the start because or, or whether you know so just ask away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> all right. So we understand relatively where you are now and what you're doing. So let's take it back to the beginning because obviously um, the book is you know. Official title, Lessons from a Cult Survivor, Survivor, that's right. Lessons from a Cult Survivor. It's not every day that somebody hears a story of, you know, somebody who's survived a cult, who's been there and actually actually lived it. So, why don't you tell us like what what was the cult you're in? How did it all, how did it all start? Like how did your family get involved? Right. What did that all look like? Okay. So, I'll condense it down because it is, it is a bit confusing. Yeah. So, um, I'm already confused. You're already confused. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder. So, basically um, – I like my parents are Catholic, mm-hmm. and we at that when I was young, so it was just myself, my brother, and my twin siblings, and we and we were just Catholic, and we would go to the Catholic local Catholic church. We lived in Ballarat, mm-hmm. and we would just go to the local Catholic church on Sundays and some holy days, and say maybe grace before meals, and that was it. When I was four and a half, Mum met this priest who um, dressed in the old way before the changes of the church in 1962. You know, he wore the cassock with the big um, cincture and the big, the massive rosary beads hanging from the mm-hmm. side and everything like that. He was legit. He was an OJ. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah Lack right. of a better term. Uh, yeah, that's right. So it was really, he was the real deal. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he started saying the Latin, the mass in Latin in my parents' land room. And there were more and more people coming. Like I remember that as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then he started saying this mass in Melbourne. And so then it, it, like it grew bigger than Ben-Hur really mm-hmm. quickly. And he said mass in a few places around Melbourne. Um, and then finally they bought this church in Hampton and it's still there today. And 
they were saying mass there. And so we used to travel from just outside of Ballarat down to Melbourne. Every, so it was a four-hour round trip. Well, every Sunday. Every Sunday. Wow. And then you imagine- You must have hated Sundays. Oh, we did. Sunday's the Sabbath. You guys are religious. You should know that. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it was. But you imagine Easter time. We've got Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday, all three oh, days yeah. in a row. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. Airbnb, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then, um, so we were part of that from the time I was four and a half until I was um, 20. That we were going to that right. Um, that that particular priest actually formed an alliance, kind of formed an alliance slash paved the way for a group called the Society of Saint Pius the Tenth that are a breakaway sect in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So they were part of the Catholic Church, but they're not now, and they haven't been for quite some time. And so they they're the ones that actually say that mass in Hampton now. Um, now I met my ex-husband, he came to stay at my parents' house when I was about 15 and he was an ex-seminarian of that Society of St. Pius X. Right. And so we, now bear in mind, I was, myself and my siblings were homeschooled. We hadn't, Mm -hmm. we didn't have any television, no outside media. We didn't have any outside friends, none of that. And, um, so I thought, well, I I formed an attachment to him, mm-hmm. which I thought was love. But then you've got to remember, I had nothing to gauge it by yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, so I got married at 18 and a half to him and he was 12 years older than me. So mm-hmm. he was 30 already. Um, I didn't know it was wrong. I didn't know it was weird mm-hmm. um, because nobody ever explained it to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so from the time I was 20 to the time I was about 25, we attended – the local parish, but we did our own thing as in, you know, I still wore a scarf over my head and we knelt down to receive communion and all that sort of thing because my ex-husband had read that um, he believed in end-of-world theories and he believed in these seers that apparently received messages from heaven mm-hmm. who were saying, those of you who were the salt of the earth and knew the old way of church needed to be part of the parish so that we could teach, you know, the pagans like you the right. real way. To go. The dirty pagans. Yeah, that's right. The dirty bloody pagans always just living their life the, yeah. the un- end of the world way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like so, the world's always going to be here. Yeah, that's it. Hell. So, that's, so then, then he found um, a guy named William Cam, also known as the Little Pebble, Mm-hmm. And because my ex-husband's um, family came from Slovenia, he had this romanticized notion of living as a community. So like the villages in Europe, you have your little village and you have the church as the center of it and mm-hmm. everybody helps each other and they celebrate the feast days and you know they dress the same, look the same, mm-hmm. believe the same, do the same. So he wanted in his head, he was trying to find something like that here. And so he found this guy called William Cam who had a few of these around Australia and they're still running. And so he found him and then decided that we would move up to Nowra mm-hmm. um, to be part of that compound. So that compound is still there. It is still surrounded by barbed wire fences and padlock gates and that's how we, that's how we lived. Right. And so we were there from February 97 to August 2006. Right. Okay, so your so so the catalyst for all this, the catalyst for the 
doomsday cult was your husband. Not the the priest. The, the priest just had um, basically a, a large following, but it was yeah. your husband that that pr- kind of started yeah. the doomsday cult. So they're two. They're two separate groups. Yeah. Um, but they're both they both affiliate with the Catholic Church. But the William Cam, he, um, my ex-husband wanted to move there. He didn't actually start the mm-hmm. group. So, mm-hmm. he just wanted to be a part of it. Gotcha. Yeah. So, all right. So, what do you think it is that makes people want to want to move to Nara, for, for example, for lack of a better example? Like this that, is for, example. to join a group to, to, like to, that? To go, to go live on a compound, to join a group like that. What do you think? Does it take a like a very charismatic figurehead like your husband or, or like the, the little pebble guy that you mentioned before or, or do you think it's just – you know, people are longing out for something, and that's just by more happens by chance. Or like, what are the why? Why do cults exist, and why do they grow? Why some cults that we see, like obviously, there's a documentary running around on Netflix at the moment, Wild Wild Country. It's a mm. great documentary, and that cult was growing like wildfire. Mm. And you know, you'd say probably because it was, you know, charismatic leader. Um, it seemed like a very happy cult, and it seemed like there wasn't too much. Um, yeah, like what is it that, that – why do cults exist? Why do people want to join something like that? Right. Well, I mean, so I've just done – I've just completed my first single unit subject, you know, on this, socio- mm-hmm. sociolo- sociology and theology. Mm-hmm. That is a and tongue twister and a half. It is, You yeah. did well to get that out in two or three <laughs> – two, two and a half goes. <laughs> yeah. But look – Look, I I was very grateful that I was introduced to it because if you had have asked me this question before, I would have stumbled a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know everything. I'm mm-hmm. just going to put that out there. But yeah. these groups always they form because of some lack or something that is going on in the world. So mm-hmm. it kind of it's, there's a void in the world that then is filled by a group or these groups. So, there's always, you know, a a vacuum. Now, the people that join them, are a lot of them are what we call seekers. Mm -hmm. So, they're looking for something else. Now, see, perfect. two perfect examples is firstly my mother. Like she was a nun before she got married and – even I, I was only 16 when I found out that, that she, she'd been a nun before. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. But the thing is you're like, that- Mom, you're a nun? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> she it. She didn't even tell us. She didn't. You can read about it in my book because <laughs> yeah, it's all right. there. But yeah. the thing was that even though we didn't know that until – like I didn't know it until I was 16, like mum just always was – she loved prayer. She loved just mm. kneeling there, eyes closed, hands joined. You know, she didn't like to be interrupted and she loved to fast and have the candles going, all the rest of it. She loved all that, mm. all the bells and smells of Catholicism. Yeah. <laughs> really bought into yeah, JC. that's right. She did. She really brought – so going – so once she was introduced to that older priest that loved all of that, that felt home to her. Mm-hmm. She felt – she didn't – she felt displaced. She She had – she didn't feel comfortable in the way the church was changing. But there's also the fear of the fear of change. And I mean, when you think about it, the church was changing a lot, you know, sociologically, um, uh, spiritually, you know, there was a lot going on in mm-hmm. the church, in the world, you know, everything was advancing and mm-hmm. they, and for them that was safe. And now for my ex-husband, like I mentioned before, he loved this idea, this romantic notion of 
living in a little village. Mm-hmm. So for him, he was just looking for something to replace that. Mm. He wanted to feel that safety mm. in that. And that's what you find most often is that they are looking for something and then when they do join – Yes, there's generally a charismatic leader and then in other, you know, a lot of the time you are love-bombed as they put it. You know, Mm -hmm. they make you feel wonderful and loved and wanted Mm -hmm. and needed and part of the family. And so then they think, oh, you know, I found my spot. Mm. And so that is for what what it is for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense. Um, I have this. I talk about this all the time on the podcast, and with anyone in my life that I that I uh, that I can really. I've I heard of this concept. We were talking about CrossFit before the show. Mm. I heard of. Um, I think I might have read a blog about CrossFit. And it was about four or five years ago, and it mentioned the um, the concept of a third place, and a third place is somebody's community, effectively. Mm. Like basically, you know. of our waking life is probably taken up by work or home. You know, Mm -hmm. they're the two places, the two, if you count them as like experiences, the experience of home, is Mm. it fun? Is it stressful? Is it straining? The experience of work, is it fun? Is it stressful? Is it straining? Compared to like your third place, which people need, Mm. I'm huge on the, on the idea of, and it's, it's people like, you know, your CrossFit community or it's people like your knitting club or, you know, your mates that you go sail with, your chess club, whatever it is, it's the people that you can go and escape your, you know, your day to day from. Yeah. And, People don't have that anymore, I feel like. And I feel like they're probably the people that, you know, because there is no community anymore. Well, it's a community and then as we were also talking about connection. Mm. So that is, I think, those sort of groups and that, again, that was also as part of the, you know, like part of the reading that we did in the course as well is that, you know, it's it's looking for the connection because they do feel displaced because they don't have that. Mm. Like, you know, we don't have the, you know, as I think it was Hillary Clinton that's mentioned it. I know she did mention it. I don't know whether she coined the phrase, but it takes a village to raise a child. And we don't have that anymore. You know, mm. like most often we don't know, even know our neighbours. Yeah. And so it's not – so they people do look for that and I think you're right. That is part of it. Well, I actually think, you know – well, I'm not going to set out and start a cult tomorrow. You know, don't, don't, don't worry. It could be I'm, quite ludicrous. I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, luc- <laughs> lucrative, lucrative. Yeah, I'm it. sure that's it's lucrative. It's probably ludicrous as well, to be honest. Yeah, that, yeah. That's if I if I got my hands on a cult and I get to set it up the way that I want to set it up, it's going to be ludicrous. But <laughs> but um, in defence of your ex husband, like I actually, um, I was talking about this with Drew, my business partner. Um, just the last couple of days, we were talking about um, Dunbar's number. Uh, so the number of people that you know we're supposed to scientifically, it's supposed to, supposed to be that we're supposed to live in 150 people communities, tribes, right? And so yep. forth. That's mm-hmm. what that's before, and then after that, that's when our natural state has to change. We have to have you know leadership, and we have to have, mm. and and that's kind of like where we're at now. It's a thousand times that, but we're we're we sit at a pretty happy place at 150 people because you know everybody in your community. After 150 mm. people, you don't really know. You don't no. really know everyone. Yeah, you, know, yeah, you can't yeah. trust everyone. And mm. there has to be all these laws and parameters and, and, mm. and different hierarchies inside of a, of a society. So I actually, think there's, I actually think there's a whole heap to that. I actually like the, the, the idea. Um, there was actually a funny thing. I'm not trying to get you back into cults, yeah, but no, like. no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, no. <laughs> but um, it was actually another a woman that came into the, my co-work. I work from a, a, a co-working space in, um, in South Melbourne down in Victoria. And she was talking about the, um, the concept of co-living areas. She was like, I can't believe Melbourne doesn't have any co-living areas. Right. So all these companies like WeWork and so forth who are um, – they have co-working offices. Hmm. There's this big – there's kind of like a push towards co-living where, you know, you'll have your own rooms and your own so on and so forth and there'll just mm. be a communal kitchen and a communal yeah. lounge or a communal this and that. 
And without having to play by anybody else's rules, without having to be a cult and dress this way and you're not allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do that, I think the concept is quite strong. I think it's a pretty mm. – it's a pretty not – like not a noble. It's a pretty – it's a pretty positive mm. idea to live to, – to have a nice little community that – I don't know. You seemed well, – your, your thoughts are probably maybe different but – Well, I have – I think I did read. I did read something in a magazine a couple of years ago about. It may have even been in Melbourne or Country Victoria somewhere where they'd set this up, where they were doing what you were saying. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, having the different rooms, but you got a communal kitchen, communal living space. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, that when when I hear it, you're like I, looking I, up I, the prices. No. I, <laughs> I can feel a little bit of. Resistance, yeah. A resistance there. Yeah, I can see it now when I'm talking about it. I can feel yeah. your resistance to, to, to the idea. Yeah, look, I Understandably feel, so. I feel it. But see, again, this is where, and going slightly ta- you know, off on a tangent because I do that, is that um, because I do, I do this in my course as well. You know, you've mentioned that and you could see and feel my resistance and I, I, I willingly admit that. Yeah. Now, the thing is, is sitting with it, and asking myself, why do I feel that? Now, I feel that resistance because of my bad experience with the, the cult. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it can't work. Mm. Look, I think, I think that it's lovely when it can work well. Mm. Like as long as we're not forced to eat together as a – Do anything. Yeah, yeah well, forced, forced to, you know, to do or, anything. You know, um, eat a certain way, believe yeah. a certain way, yeah. or we have to have, you know, we have to go and work in the garden to make ourselves self-sufficient. Yeah. And just as a side note, I'm not against anybody being self-sufficient. It's just yeah. if you add the end of the world bit into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, fascinated, more fascinated by this end of the world part of the, the, the whole cult the whole scenario. But no, I agree. I just like the idea of people living together. That's the mm. only thing. I mean, not no. We don't have to cook together communally. We mm. don't have to follow any sort of. We definitely, in my ideal scenario, I wouldn't be following anybody's guidelines. It just surrounds people with more people, you know. Mm. Because I think this. I think that as a society, we're so sad at the moment, and I really think that's. I don't think that's a weird summation by me, or an, or, an, or a crazy summation to say we're a bit sad as a society. I think mm. there's, you know, whether it's just. It's just reported more or not, but there's a mm. you know there's a huge rise and it's just going up and up all our mental health issues that we have and and I think it's because you know we're so connected on social media and so forth and the world is smaller and smaller and smaller. One of my companies is an outsourcing agency, so putting people in Venezuela that need work with businesses and entrepreneurs all around the world. The world is just getting smaller. It is, but yeah. it's not getting more connected. It's getting no. less connected. Yeah, you know we sit in cars all day every day and then you know drive to an office where we sit down and put our headphones in and work all day and then we go back to a one or two bedroom apartment like it's not really how it's supposed to be I just think mm. I go to my gym right now because I just want to talk to people mm. like I don't really care I'm not in a heavy training stage mm. or anything right now I just like being around people yeah. you know it's like gives me an hour in the afternoon to go and shoot the shit if I've had a bad day at work yeah well you know? see I think that's the thing I think that we need to have that connection and mm. I I for me personally um, I even noticed earlier this year that I had a lot of resistance in um, advertising myself, like in because I'm part of I'm part of some groups, you know, women's groups on Facebook and whatever, and I could yep. feel that resistance, like, ugh, you know, today's market day. How am I going to word this? How am I going to put it out there? And the thing was, you know, like I figured out that I'm more of a people person. People are going to, you know, like when I've sat, you know, opposite to women, and I've spoken, you know, talk to them and help them, you know, ask them just a f- even a few questions and I can see their face light up and they go, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know, you're so right. 
I can do that. I have got the choice to do that. You know, like mm-hmm. I've just helped them break through a block that they had in their head. Mm-hmm. And so I know that people, you know, I connect with people really mm-hmm. well. And see, that's the thing. My resistance is that I prefer to, you know, like I prefer to talk to people. My yeah. resistance is actually doing it online. Yeah. And that is me. And I've, and one thing that I am doing now more and I'm going to continue to do more of is actually go out and connect with people. Yeah. Um, because I like doing that. And I have an awesome circle of friends as well. Because mm. I ma- when I moved up here five years ago from NARA, I made sure that I would be very strict in who I would have around me. Yep. They had to be, you know, like I fan their flames, they fan mine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we support, encourage and help each other with our businesses and in our everyday lives and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I think that is that is of huge value yeah. for us mentally and physically and emotionally. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's like this podcast. We obviously were potentially going to do it on Skype and then we, you know, mm. rescheduled so we could do it in person because, you know, human face-to-face connection is everything, really. Mm. Mm. Like I've traveled, you know, all over the world and you go on a holiday and if you don't – and you, you can see waterfalls. I love – the beauty of the planet and, and the, the difference of, you know, the cultures that you see and so on and so forth. But if you don't make human connection when you're, when you're out traveling, that's, you know, mm. it's, a, it's a waste of trip. It's all, I mean, that's what makes us happy. So, mm. yeah, I, I totally get it. So, so when you were, um, I'm not sure how comfortable we are answering Go questions like this, but like yeah. when you were in the, the, the cult, so when you were in Nara, when you were in the compound, mm. um, you were there for 10 years, basically, you said? Yeah, about, 10 about, years, On yeah. the compound. Mm. So, what did that actually look like day to day? Um, well, the whole day was um, – well, firstly, we were forced to join. So, it, he was creating a religious group and we were forced to join it and take vows of, you know, like the nuns used to of poverty, chastity and obedience. Yep. So, even though we were married, we had to be still – well, not chaste, but we had to practice that within – so, basically, only have sex if you're going to have children. That really? was basically gotcha. But – so not only so we had to dress a certain way, we had to wear these brown scapular things over our clothes, and we had to attend prayers at least twice a day, if not three. So you'd be doing at least two hours, if not more, of prayer a day in the chapel. Then we had to eat lunch and dinner together. Um, so we lived in separate houses, um, but and like with the mothers, they were a little bit more free, so to speak, because we had to look after our own kids and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and obviously they've got to have their sleeps and whatever else, you know. So, but by the same token, there was still a lot of pressure to say prayers, to be always offering sacrifices, to be going down to the chapel twice a day for prayers. And then you've got to go down to the chapel, you know, they had an eating area underneath the chapel, so you mm-hmm. had to eat. But then the mothers had to help the nuns be prepare food. And, I mean, there was 180 people living there at Whoa. the time I was there. So you imagine preparing wow. two meals a day, like lunch, lunch, yeah. was lunch, and then you have um, dinner, like a full-cooked dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's high-level. That's high-level preparation. So it was, a lot, it was a lot of work. And then we weren't encouraged, like we had to ask permission to go out to go shopping. And we were encouraged to do that as quickly as possible because, you know, in case there's a punishment or a chastisement that happens, if we're outside of those compound fences, well, then we won't be saved. 
Uh, so say, that, that. say that part again. If there was a punishment or a chastisement. So, were- well, there was all, approximately every six months the world was going to end and we had to prepare for a chastisement, right? Right. So when we first moved up there in February 97, uh, the, what he was then spitting out from what the Virgin Mary had apparently told him was that I think it was the Hale-Bopp comet was supposed to hit – Earth on June 7, 1997. Mm-hmm. So I think the tail of it was supposed to swing and hit the Earth and knock it off, us, off its axis a little bit mm-hmm. and there would be extreme heat and then extreme cold. Gotcha. So that so that happened. So, well, it didn't happen, but that was foretold. Okay. And so then, they, wanted to ma- you to ma- they wanted to make sure that you were in the compound should the end of the world happen. Yeah. Or rapidly, any, like yeah, or, yeah, that afternoon. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. So, right. so, Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. No. But, end of the world's a pretty serious thing. <laughs> I know, but this is – I mean, it's easy for it's me – It's just to, wild. I mean, it's easy for me to laugh about it now. Yeah. I mean, but see, the other thing is, and I've also spoken about it in the <clears> book, <throat> is that we were told that um, our children would be raptured. Now – um, raptured as in, now this is what was told to us, is that the children would just literally just disappear. So it'd be just like, and you, and like, you know, if you were to disappear, you'd be, you'd be literally just disappear body and soul yeah. off that chair. Yeah. Right. Dis- like disappear. Evaporation. Yeah. Yeah. And they would, and so when I asked where they would be taken, they said, oh, to heaven to be protected um, while the earth is cleansed and then the Virgin Mary would bring them back. Right. I only just found out a couple of weeks ago because my eldest daughter read the book and mm-hmm. she said that because there was a school there and we had to send the kids there, my eldest daughter told me that they were told in school not to play near the fences because they would be taken by people outside. Right. Now, I didn't know that. Otherwise, I would have put it in my book, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I was just told that they would be taken literally body and soul, just evaporated. So, let me ask you this. So, when you got to Nara, mm. what was your what 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 age were you around about? I would have probably. been twenty seven. Twenty seven, okay. And how heavily indoctrinated were you before you got to Nara? Well, I was still. For me, I had been brought up to be, you know, like very strict Catholic. Yep. The husband is the head of the house. You always obey them. Yep. You know, you're quiet and submissive. You yep. have the children. You do okay. everything. You know, okay. all of that. But 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 so but you weren't um, you weren't indoctrinated in any way into a doomsday cult until that point in time. Two like twenty seven, basically. Well, I well my ex husband had been receiving the um, the supposed virgin messages that mm-hmm. um, William Cam was spouting. Mm-hmm. He'd been receiving them for about two years, like getting them two years beforehand and yes. reading them. So I knew about them. Gotcha. But I hearing about the world ending and all this anxiety and everything, like it made me really anxious and I didn't want to know about it. Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, they're talking about, you know, even you, you've got to put holy water into food mm-hmm. because even the food, you know, the devil will poison the food and you'll die mm-hmm. and oh, you know, like it was, it was full on and it was scary. Yeah. So I wasn't – I never wanted to move there, but I felt like because I'd been brought up so strictly that the husband is the head of the house mm-hmm. and um, a, you know, a wife has to obey, mm-hmm. that's why I did it. And, I mean, we never shared a bank account, so I had no money. Mm-hmm. I had no self-esteem, no self-confidence. I knew I would not get any support from either side of the family and I didn't want to be a single mum with four little kids. Yeah. I didn't know how to be. Yeah. Yeah, 
For sure, you had no power. You had no control of your life. No, I didn't. Effectively. So that's why I went. And I erroneously thought that if I just sacrificed some time and let him have his way, like, you know, we can try it out. And then if it didn't work out, well, then, okay, he'd just say, okay, it hasn't worked out. Let's move on. But he never did. Yeah, right. So because my, my question, my question that I was, you know, trying to wrap my head around to, with, with all those last points we talked about was, was how much of that did you actually believe? Like when you were told that basically your children would potentially evaporate in the thin air, mm. like when you're in a cult, when mm. you're when you're told this is the truth, this is how it is, this is mm. this is the gospel effectively, how much ridiculousness can you believe? Because to, to, to somebody, an innocent bystander listening to that, someone yeah. outside looking in, you go, well, that's fucking, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, I yeah. know. How many other things have you seen evaporate? None, you know, <laughs> yeah. let alone children. But, you know, exactly, yeah. so, so what was your state of mind with all that? Were you like, were you, did you ever question it or did you just 100% believe or, or, or were you somewhere in the middle? What you've got to understand is that now – Firstly, a lot of the media throw around the term brainwashing. There is that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's been scientifically proven that people make choices to move into groups like this. So yeah. it, you're not you're not brainwashed. So you have and once in you do have choices, but they're not the choices you would make if you were free. Mm-hmm. You know, it's between a rock and a hard place, and yeah. you wouldn't choose either. So it's kind of like the choice you had. Yeah. So you don't so, really have free will. You've just you've got. Yeah. So yeah. that is so when you're in there. So you got to you got to think. Okay, these people or person like myself was in this box, and yes, we did have TV in there, but we only had the three channels and we didn't get much time. See, the whole idea of these groups, oftentimes too, is to have the members so busy that they don't have time to read except for the stuff that they're supposed to and they're yeah. not, you know, don't have much time question to watch TV. Things. Yeah, question yeah. things. So, therefore, they're able to filter a whole lot of stuff. They filter everything that comes in and just tell it to you. Yeah, propaganda. Yeah, and, and, you, and you believe it because you just – like for me, I had just been brought up totally Catholic and never questioned anything because I – arrogantly thought I had the truth. I was Mm -hmm. told by my mother that I'm more special than anyone else because I've got the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. I'm going to heaven. You're not. It's as simple as that. So I had pity for somebody like you, which is terrible. It's just Hey, I went to a Catholic school, thank you very much. Glad you were college. (laughs) Year 12 education. I'm going straight to the pearly gates. (laughs) (laughs) But see, this is what I mean. So So for me, when I went there, I was so busy being scared and fearful that I didn't put any thought into anything else. Mm. And so I I didn't want to believe a lot of it. But then when you're surrounded by so many other people that are all hell-bent into it, like into it, yeah. and they believe it and they're talking about it all the time, yeah. like you have to ask yourself, okay, they're all believing it and there's like 179 yeah. of What's them. What's wrong with me? Yeah, am I? Yeah. Am I, you know, and then of course, um, you know, like – I kicked up a shindy about joining the group because I didn't – I said to my husband, ex-husband, I said, you go and join and I, I'll just wait while, you know, they didn't – neither him nor the cult leader liked that because I was, you know, I was kicking up a shindy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I was, a, I was a troublemaker. But the thing is that I just – I felt afraid and I felt like I, I had to do as I was told. So mm-hmm. I felt forced – so I was fearful and I felt forced into it. 
And so I kind of believed, I mean, there were many times when I asked questions, but then it's like, where do I go for answers? I didn't know where to go for answers. Like, I mean, you got to think there was no, I didn't have a computer. I couldn't just Google something. I didn't have a phone. So I couldn't just Google. Where would I go? I had literally no idea of anybody I could go to, to ask or even what to read. So what do I do? Yeah, It's like you're trapped in an alternate reality. Yeah. It's like you're- Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I didn't, I just, I was <coughs> stuck. I was literally stuck. I just didn't know. Mm. I wouldn't even know what, and see, because I'd been so indoctrinated as a kid to, to not read certain things, you know, you, you only go, you only read books that are by saints or by yeah. popes or bishops. Or, really? Even before the cult, just as a-, a Yeah. You know. Or, or you know, things, safe things like Enid Blyton, Mary Grant Bruce, mm-hmm. L.M. Montgomery, all those old, old ones, you don't- yeah, right. Like I, I don't, they're not, there's nothing wrong with them. I'm just yeah, saying yeah, yeah. that there's, it's good to have a mix, but we yeah. didn't have that mix. Yeah. So I didn't know where to go to for information. Wow. That's so crazy. So what about, was there people, if, with, if there's 180 people living in, the, um, living in the compound, were there people that did question it? And what happened to them if so? Well, the thing is that we found out that there were a few people that had left. We didn't know their names and we didn't know why, but they had mm. left and it was kind of whispered about. You know? Yeah, right. And did they evaporate, did they not? <laughs> well, they didn't evaporate, they just left. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the thing is, we didn't know and then we got into trouble for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there was another lady that kicked up a shindy that um, about a few things and people didn't speak very nicely about her. And, I mean, you know, like I – like. We didn't like. I knew her, but we weren't we weren't close or anything. But I admired her because she spe- she spoke up, you know, when she wasn't happy about something, you know. People would say, "Oh, you know, she she didn't agree with it. You know, she's kicked up a shindy. She wanted to do this and won't do I've that." Never heard that term before. So every time you say it, I'm like, "Kicked <laughs> up a shindy." <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, I've never heard it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. It's a new one. We'll have to put it in the Urban Dictionary in case anyone else hasn't heard it. There we go. <laughs> so, so I, you know, and and then I later like um. Further down the track, not long before we left, um, about I think it was the third time that Cam was trying to collaborate. Like he was trying to have everybody, all their money that they earned, whether it was from Centrelink or from their jobs or whatever, have it all pooled in one account. Guess who? His. Oh yeah. Yeah. Crazy all right. pool it in his <laughs> his account, and then he would literally doll it out per person. Every week. So mm-hmm. if he felt that you could live on $30 a week, that's all you're getting. Right. So this other – and so I I had never – I had kicked up a shindy both times before. And so I wasn't happy when this rolled around a third time. And then I actually – I don't know why I went to see this woman, but I did. Uh, or we, we managed to, I don't know, pass or chat or something. And um, I found out that she wasn't happy about it either mm-hmm. because when I told Tony, my ex-husband, I said, well, I'm not happy about this. I don't agree with it. He's going, oh, you know, you're the only one that's, you're the only one that's causing trouble about this. Mm-hmm. And so I went back and I went, well, you know, this lady here is not happy about it either. Yeah, so you're not she's telling. She's kicking up a bloody shindy too, mate. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're not telling the truth. <laughs> yeah. So um, he wasn't happy about that, you know, because mm. I'd caught him out in a lie basically. Mm. So, yeah. Right. And then, so how did the um, how did the whole thing work? Did, when you said um, just before, you said their jobs. So, are you talking like you would get employment inside of the cult, or are you talking about employment outside of the cult in the town of Nowra and, and surrounds? 
uh, well, both in a way because there were some people in there that had their own businesses, you know, like carpentry or um, well inside of the compound. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, they well they owned the businesses and they would go. They own. They like got jobs outside. It's like a regular, yeah, tradie regular, doing yeah, regular, regular tradie. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Cam owned some um, some convenience stores. You know, little convenience stores, mm-hmm. milk bars, and he would have. Uh, the men and some of the single women, whether they're older or younger, um, work in there and pay them minimum wage. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so how would that work as well? Like how would that work kind of, you know, splitting your time between the compound and then the real world, how would the interactions between people that were cult members and people in the real world kind of look? Would it just be – it would not be an issue? Would there, Was there a divide between the town? I'm just referencing basically wild, wild country again because it was like there was quite a divide. That it was us versus them. You know, well, was there was there any of that, or was it pretty seamless to just integrate in and out of a cult? Well, because the, the cult would just be thinking these guys are idiots on the outside, right? You'd be thinking you've got the inside run. Of course, like, we have. Yeah, you've yeah, got the truth. Yeah, Everybody yeah. else is just stupid. Yeah, you're 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 dying, mate. Right. Yeah, you're not going to heaven. You're yeah. not getting saved. Yeah. Yeah. So we still had that. Arrogant. Well, I mean, I had the arrogance. I'm talking personally. I had the arrogance because yeah. I had the truth of the Catholic faith. Yeah, you're chuffed. Yeah, you're that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm there, honey. Yeah. You know, you got no chance. Yeah, I'm um, VIP. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I'm VIP. The line of the and gates. of course, the more sacrifice. So not only was I in. But if I did more sacrifices, I would get a higher place in heaven. Oh, right. Is that yeah. how it works? So if you scraped through at the last minute, you'd be way down here. Oh, I'd be yeah. up here. You'd be cleaning dunnies in, the, yeah, in heaven. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You're still in heaven, but you know, yeah. you're, still, you're cleaning dunnies. That's it. Yeah. So <laughs> it was. So the thing was that, well, with one of the um, convenience stores he bought, it was across the road from a from a primary school and uh, before he bought it, it had quite a big, quite a big clientele, mm-hmm. um, you know, teachers, school kids, parents, whatever. But then once he bought it, because see, the thing was that the, the um, like the town knew mm-hmm. and he'd caused problems for quite a while, like especially with the Catholic Church. So like Bishop Peter Ingham from Wollongong and his two predecessors had already, you know, like they had um, – they had said things against him before and said, no, what he's doing is wrong, he's not part of the Catholic Church, blah, 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 stay away from him, all the rest of it. So there was a lot there. Like, So the townspeople knew and they would know from the way we were dressed because we always dressed, you know, with skirts, you know. Yeah, oh, dead giveaway. Yeah, dead giveaway. Brown, did you say? Brown garb? Well, we had brown people. garb over what we – over our normal clothes, but yeah. with the women, we had to be down, covered down to the elbow, up to the neck, and yeah. at least a mid calf. Yeah. So there was no, yeah. you know, it's not your regular uh, no. street street wearing. No, now, no, at the time, no, no. I'm probably rocking Slazenger and Adidas. <laughs> yeah, there you more go. more to that, like yeah. So there was, so that's where we were known, so yep. to speak. And I mean, people would be like the outside people would be polite. Um, but I suppose we were tolerated in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't blame them. I don't yeah. blame them and I don't judge them, you know, because yeah. they didn't know and, you know, they felt awkward and why, you know, because looking from the outside in, you know, there were, there had already been stories aired about him and it was a bit sass and all the rest, you know, like he was weird. Come on, let's face it. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. I mean, them – like weird. Yeah, that's it. And they didn't understand. <laughs> People scared of different. 
Yeah. And I mean, we were different. We were very different. Mm. And I mean, it doesn't help that he was writing stuff to papers and saying, oh, you know, the Virgin Mary said, you know, she's, yeah. she sent this warning that, you know, you've got to be prepared, blah, blah, blah. I mean, come Look, it's on. PR worthy news. I mean, let, let's be honest. Yeah. But then the date would come and go and nothing had happened. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. they're going nutcase. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was, you know, I felt, I felt embarrassed when I would go out. Because oh, really? Yeah, I would because oh, I would. Oh, that's interesting. Because, I mean, if people were being friendly to me, like I remember I used to go and buy fruit and veg from a fruit and veg guy and, I mean, mm-hmm. he was always – he was just pleasant. Like, you know, he's friendly. Hi, how are you? You know, how's your week been? You know, mm-hmm. just normal stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would answer it and, I mean – you know, like, I mean, I was, you know, I look back now and I would have just, you know, been just really plain, no makeup, hair down to here and mm-hmm. just really dowdily dressed. Yeah. And, he, you know, but I mean, he knew I was, he would have been able to see I was different. I mean, I had a horde of kids with me, so. <laughs> so, so why were you embarrassed? Did, did you get like. Um... Well, I felt like I wasn't, I, because for me, I always, I wanted to fit in. Yeah. When I say fit in, it didn't mean that I necessarily had to dress the same as everybody else, but I wanted to be able to interact with people on a normal level, like I'm interacting with you now. Yeah. I wanted to be able to do that and I felt inadequate and I felt like I was very different and – I didn't know what to talk about, you know. Mm, like we you would have had nothing to talk about. Well, that's it. It's like they say: if a, um, if a lion could speak English, you would you would still not be able to converse because your frames of reference are so different. Yeah, and so that I don't know why they use a lion's reference, but I've heard that. Too. I've heard that. I've heard that analogy before. <laughs> um, well, see, that's the thing. You know. I had I had nothing to reference with. I was really strictly Catholic. Yeah, and I mean, what what, what would I talk about? I I I didn't know. I mean, I'm not. I don't know a lot about politics now as it is, but I mean, if somebody had have said something to me, oh, you know, have you heard of what, you know, the US president is doing? I'd be like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, what's I, the US? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it just be, it was so foreign to me. Yeah. You know, like I remember when there was um, the terrorist attack, the 9 11, and um, we were in, <clears throat> it was raining, it was cold, and um, I'd actually gone into town with Tony, and, um, because we had a couple of kids, like most of them were at school, but we had a few young ones. So mm-hmm. he just ran around in the car and did a couple of things, and then I just did a couple of things. And I was coming out of the Salvation Army store, and um, there was – I saw it out of my peripheral there was a guy there, and I didn't take much notice. And then um, he approached me, and I realized that it was one of the cult members that – because we had ones that would live – there wasn't enough room on the inside, so they live outside. Gotcha. And he said, oh, oh, there's been there's been an attack in – in the US, um, is it is it the beginning of the Third World War? I'm like, what? Because I didn't know what he was talking. Like, I mean, yeah. I'd heard Third World War before. Yeah. But I'm thinking, attack? What are you talking about? I did not know what this was. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Tony came to pick me up then, and he had the radio on, and he'd heard about the terrorist attack. And I didn't know what a terrorist attack was. And then yeah. we, we went home. Tony turned on the TV. I just remember these her- seeing her- these horrific memory, these horrific images. Wow. And I, I, I look, that was so horrific for me. I could, I like, I mean, I can still remember those couple of images that I saw, and I couldn't watch anymore because for me, a, I didn't understand what a real terrorist attack was. Mm-hmm. But B, for me, it was like, how could other humans do this to humans? Because yeah. we all feel it doesn't matter what race, gender, culture we are or belief, we're humans and we have feelings and how could someone else do that to people? I, I couldn't, you Well, know. that's how everyone should really think, isn't it, at the end of the day? Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy um, – I was surprised, yeah, I was surprised to hear you say that you were, um, you were embarrassed. I would have thought that you would have been 
feel like Colts are so like, I feel like they're normally so blindly confident in their correct and everyone else is an ignoramus. Everyone else is, mm. you know, missing out, which you kind of had, but you still felt felt like an outsider. So so when did it get to the point where I know you briefly touched on it before, like a bit of the mental process you went through mm. um in trying to get yourself out of the cult, but when did it get to the pointy end? When did it get to like, all right, cool, I'm starting beginning to see through this. This is not where I want to live the rest of my life. Mm. How do I get like what was the you know, what was the what was the process like in your head? Okay, well the first one was we moved up there in February twenty nineteen ninety seven. In January 2000, because I, I had seen the little pebble like get a bit cosy with women, like uh, like even with the 16-year-old girls, he'd put his arm around them right. or whatever, and I thought, oh, that's a bit, ugh. Yeah, yeah. You know, like- Most cult leaders get accused of that, I feel like. I feel like there's, you know, my, yeah. most creepy old cult leader men, they're always doing sneaky business yeah, with them. Yeah, the and I just, and, and, then there, and then there was these- these 16, 17-year-old virgins getting pregnant and they were mystical babies and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, what? well- Immaculate conception. Yeah. And see, one of them, she had a cesarean, so she said it was a real, it was an immaculate birth, so she was still a virgin. I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> um, Whoa. So, but January 2000 came and I cannot remember for the life of me, I wish I could, but there was a, there was a whiteboard about as big as that window there mm-hmm. in the back of the chapel. And the way he wrote, there was one of the queens had the single girls, she had a baby. And it was the way he worded it, it sounded like his wife. And it just a light bulb went on because, you know, I'd seen all these things and it was like jigsaw puzzle pieces, you know, mm-hmm. when you're, you're putting yeah, you're it trying to make sense of it all. Sense of it all. Head, all yeah. of a sudden, I saw it. I like, he's having sex with these girls and they're getting pregnant. And I was horrified. I was disgusted. I was angry. I literally wanted to punch his lights out. Yeah. To, to be honest, I wanted to punch his lights out. I thought, you dirty old bastard. Yeah. And um, the little pebble, even that nickname, it's just a creepy, yeah, creepy nickname. Creepy. You'll never trust. I'd never have a mate named the little pebble. <laughs> no, that's it. <laughs> I can tell you that right yeah, now. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so he, so then I went home to Tony and I said, you know, he's having sex with these girls and getting them pregnant, and I don't agree with it. I don't like things. Disgusting. Wrong. Ev- yeah, everything. Mm-hmm. I want to move. And he said, no, we're not moving because you know he has. He has permission from the Virgin Mary to do this. And I'm like, yeah, right. So Tony but knew about it? He, well, I, presu- I never actually asked him. I presumed he figured it out. I don't know. Mm. I didn't ask. But anyway, I was unhappy about it. But again, I had no choices, no money, nothing, couldn't move. So I didn't, I wasn't happy about that at all. And then um, he, and then I just like, okay, I just kind of put my head down and just sort of kept living. But then it came to um, May 2004 when my husband decided that he would become, like, take steps to become a married priest behind my back. And I was just like, we'd always been told that um, the wives had to be asked and they had to give, like, written permission and it wasn't to be forced. And anyway, he said, um, so anyway, Tony lets me know as he's walking out the door one day, oh, by the way, I'm going to become a married priest. And I'm like, I was, I was shocked. I was horrified. I was disgusted. I felt like I'd been cheated on. Like, I just felt trampled on. Mm-hmm. And I was so angry. I was so angry. I can't even remember being that angry 
like since. So for the people, for the people, which is probably most people that don't that don't understand that um, the difference between Tony and your regular life, and if he was to be a married priest. Um, well, the Catholic Church doesn't have married priests, um, but it was – well, the thing was that he just wanted to be a married priest because he'd always wanted to be a priest and he gotcha. hadn't been before – like he wasn't allowed to before mm-hmm. and now he was going to try and be part of it. Anyway, I just knew I was six months pregnant with my youngest child and I knew that day my marriage was over. However – um, I still felt guilty. I still felt like I had to give it one more shot, like to know absolutely for sure that the marriage was over. Yeah. Um, but there, it was then, it was a small little light in my soul that just made me start looking out for myself. And he was a serial online gambler. Like mm-hmm. he gambled away about quarter of a million dollars over oh. three years. Wow. But – he couldn't give me money for children's shoes. Yeah. And I just thought, how fair is this? This is not fair. We're not being looked after. I had eight kids there and I wasn't being looked after and they weren't being looked after. And I thought, you're, you're doing your thing and you don't care about us. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, I'm going to start. So it was from then I started going to church in the outside parish. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like it and the cult leader didn't like it. Mm-hmm. They were as mad as hornets that I did it. But I went and did it and that was my first step out mm-hmm. and I started making friends out there. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I was still dressing weird, I was still yep. wearing a scarf yep. over my head, yep. all of that. Yep. But I just thought I, my kids and I deserve better. Wow. And that's, that's how I started. So literally step by step. And in, when I was writing the end part of my book earlier this year, I'm thinking – Good God, I had such balls. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. 100%. I must, it must be the hardest thing in the world when you spent so – your whole life you've been My whole controlled life. effectively until yeah, that Yeah, controlled, point. manipulated, yeah. indoctrinated, yeah. guilted, yeah. guilt, judgment. But not sin. your whole life like it's five, five or six or seven years either, like decades. Mm. Um, so to have the mental – to have the willpower to be able to do that is pretty, pretty amazing. So – well done. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So, so all right. So, when you were actually, so you made your way out. What they, they weren't. It wasn't like there wasn't a huge controversy with you leaving. Like you broke broke up with your husband, I assume. And then, or was no, there more to it? Or well, um, so starting to go to church in the outside parish was mm-hmm. like the first step. Yeah. And see, they considered that like. Like I was trouble because, yeah. see, people liked me, you know, mm. because, you know, I was friendly. I was still vivacious, you know. Yeah. I still got into trouble for talking too much. Make and, food for everyone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So I still got into trouble for talking too much and being too loud and yeah. asking inappropriate questions yeah. like, oh, the 17-year-old is pregnant. Who's the father? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. I'm not but, sure about this immaculate conception yeah, thing. Yeah, that's yeah, right. It seems to be happening a little bit too much in my life. <laughs> that's right. So it was about. So, but still, people liked me. They thought mm-hmm. that I was friendly and happy yeah. and thoughtful and everything else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me to start breaking away, oh, whoa, you know, this is danger because she could just take a few people with it. Yeah, that's right. So, you might have been the uh, you might have been the tipping point for them. Well, like, only or the lead domino anyway. Well, I, it turned out that I was because I then started asking, writing letters and asking questions of them, the cult leaders, mm-hmm. uh, well, the cult leader and the priest that he was that was there, like how can they tell us from the pulpit to live by the rules of the Catholic Church and obey the Catholic Church in everything, yet they were creating married men as priests and bishops, which isn't allowed by the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. So how – 
We're not allowed to break your rules, but you can make your own and break your own rules at any yeah. time you like. And I mean, look, I knew the answers to these things because Tony had collected all these books on, you know, the Catholic catechism and the canon law and everything else. So yeah. I knew where to go for the answers and I found them. Mm-hmm. Like, so there was only like three, I only quoted three questions and answers. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a long thesis. Um, and see, I like they. I sent the first letter, and then he, basically he sent back all this waffle that you know the Virgin Mary told him this and that. So it wasn't based on anything Catholic, yeah. just his waffle. The second one was only slightly better, but not really. And then when I asked a third time, they got really miffed. So at this point, Cam had been arrested for pedophilia, and he was going through a court case. So what he did, because the property that we were living and the house that we were living in. He had a mortgage on, mm-hmm. so he he was paying that mortgage. Now, when I st- now all of this was only revealed later, obviously, but at the time that I started writing those letters and being trouble, he stopped paying the mortgage. Right. So, which then led to us being evicted um, two years later. Right. So, okay, so that was your exit. So, so that was my exit. Right. But I didn't know that, obviously. Mm-hmm. All of that came out later, much mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea. So my me doing that started well, – those small steps started something that I didn't even see wow. that was happening. It really did start the chain reaction. I did. And then, see, people – because I kept – because I stuck – you know, I stuck my heels in and I mm-hmm. wouldn't I, – I just wouldn't um, budge – I even had some of the cult members coming to me and just saying, look, you really need to stop now. You've been given an answer. You need to stop. You need to stop asking questions. Were you questions. scared at any time? Nope. I just smiled sweetly and kept on my way and just thinking, well, you know, you're telling me that we need to abide by the rules of the Catholic Church. Well, it says in canon law. Yeah. You know, it says in canon law you can't do that. Mm. So, you know, and I mean, in the end, I, it turned out to be right, mm. you know. Well... So here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. It's probably the probably probably the biggest one of all. Right. So what are your thoughts on religion now? That's a huge question because again, it's open to interpretation for mm-hmm. individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that religion does have its place in that. You know, when we spoke before about you know the third place yep. and connection. Mm-hmm. See. Religion, church, you know, or your temple or synagogue or whatever it is, you know, used to be, you know, a very important form of connection. Yeah, it was the original third place. Yeah, yeah. But see, because the world has changed so much, you know, technically and like every in every which way the world's changed so much, religion doesn't hold such a – it doesn't have such a big hold now because, I mean, people are asking more questions. They don't believe as, as simply and easily as they used to. Yeah. So, um, I think that everybody has some sort of yearning for some kind of belief in something, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Um, could, yeah, you might be an atheist, you know, like I use the term God, but for me it's not that God harsh figure that I was brought up with. Mm-hmm. To me, you know, I am spiritual, not religious. Yeah. So I still think that religion has a place, but as long as it is changing and evolving with its members and it's not indoctrinating or controlling, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? It was, you know, the basic tenets behind why religion was 
created in my in my humble opinion <laughs> is probably to um to to control growing numbers of people but all mm. the everything that was you know religion was was all very positive you know mm. it was all it was all very good and and the Ten Commandments and 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 it was basically how to live a a good respectful life for those life, for yeah. yourself and life, those around life. you. Yeah. You know that really it really 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 was. Now I feel like it's just more. It leads to more us versus them than anything else, um, which I think is the biggest problem with you know our society to this day. Really, that you know we're we're so. We never look at ourselves as one, you know, one mm. human race and mm. we're all the same, you know. We've got race and sexuality and gender and religion. Oh, my God, And yes. it's, it, if, it's just the saddest thing, you know. We can't just be happy for each other and I think religion has a big negative part to play in that. Um, well, there's a lot of divides. Yeah. And see, I don't think that there should be divides, mm. you know. And, I mean, for me, the way I was brought up in the strict Catholicism, and again, that group is still flourishing today and it's still <coughs> creating homophobics and bigots and racists. And it's and to me it's very, very wrong because, you know, like I was, I was brought up, you know, homophobic. But the, yeah. like, I mean, you know, I was taught that gays were so bad, they were sinful, they chose that. I, didn't, I accepted it because I didn't know any better. Yeah. However, you know, I've come way out the other side and I've got gay friends. I'm yeah. so proud to say I've got gay friends. Yeah. You know, and I want to, you know, I love sitting down and having a conversation with them. You know, mm. I want people of all race and color and gender and creed to be my friends. Yeah. Because I'm eager to learn. You just want a good person to be your friend regardless of anything. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. So, so would you call yourself um, would you call yourself agnostic, or you call yourself religious, or you call yourself atheist, or you don't like to put a put a term on it? I, for me, I can't put a term on it mm. because I haven't got it all figured out, and I don't think You're I planning will. Planning to figure it out? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just it. waiting. I've got about three equations to go, and I'm going to have figured out the uh, well, figure out the meaning of life. I think that there is a higher power mm-hmm. that. We are all a part of with our higher self. Mm-hmm. Now, this may, might make sense to some and it might be complete gibbery joke to somebody else. <laughs> gibbery joke. Or whatever it is. Couldn't even say gibberish and, and uh, gobbledygook. Yeah, there you go. I can't, no. <laughs> gook. But, uh, it, you know, it makes sense in my brain. Yes. And I just think that um, – to me, it's all simple. I think that we all should just treat each other the way we want to be treated and, you know, with empathy, compassion and understanding. I think that we need to, you know, look out for Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a people, you know, we're all connected on some level. Like we are. Energetically, we're connected on some level. I really do. Um, whether you explain that as God or something, I don't have no idea, but it's just that, look, that's how it is for me right now. Mm-hmm. This could change in two months, six months, couple of years. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just on this. For me, I'm very open to hearing about all sorts of things, reading stuff, learning stuff, talking to people. And I find that especially when I talk to people, I need to, like I hear it and it just sits there and sort of like, mellows like mm-hmm. rum or whatever mm-hmm. you know and just sits there and I just and sometimes it doesn't sort of enlighten me for a while I don't know I just I'm a stewer mm. you know I think about stuff mm. no nah, well that's fair that's fair I, I think 
Yeah, I think, yeah, you don't need to have an answer to that question. Um, yeah, I'd probably say I'm agnostic. I think there's, we just don't know. There's too much. We'll never, I don't think we'll ever know. Oh, well, that's it. And you I mean, know. I can't. And that's cool. See, for me, like, I mean, I don't, even though I was brought up dogmatically to believe that there's a heaven and a hell, mm. like, is there really? Mm. Yeah, well, I don't think no. we, we don't. Look, the one thing that, the one thing that, I'm very, very, you know, anti, not anti-religion, but I'm just not religious. I'm not just yeah, not religious yeah, yeah. at all. But I don't understand how there was the known universe was contained in the size of a pinhead and in less than 0.1 second it all turned in the universe. Like that's pretty, that's pretty spooky stuff. Well, God created it. Don't you know this? Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> well, the thing is something probably did. If science has got us to there, like I'll back science in. I'm like, yeah, good job, science. Hmm. What, what put the pinhead there? That's the that's the question that leaves leaves a little little Dora Jaffa. Not God. I don't like to call it God, but like a process that we don't understand that I don't think our little human brains will ever probably understand. But Well, that's it. I don't mm. think I don't think we can. There is so much out there. Like mm. I mean, just at TEDx Melbourne, I was uh, I heard Dr. Lisa Harvey Smith talk on um, she's an astrologist. Well, mm-hmm. more than more than that. But um, – and then I read her interview in the Womankind magazine and, like, you know, just her interview and, I mean, that would only – that's only a tiny bit of what she knows and what she's learnt and what she's fascinated by and it just, like, amazes me. Yeah. And, like, I, that you stretches would be, you my especially, brain. You especially, someone who was, like, starved of information, you'd be like, woman's day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this it's is just, incredible. It's just, like – yeah, and see, that's where I'm a, I'm a sponge. I'm just reading yeah. stuff and I'm fascinated. Yeah, you got that childlike fascination. I love it. Yeah, but that's I love great. It. I think it's a fa- it's an awesome feeling to have. I remember, I don't know how or why, but I've told this story a couple of times on the podcast. I, I, I got back to that childlike fascination after watching Interstellar about four years ago, five years ago. Right. Have you seen Interstellar? I haven't. My husband has... And I think he described it to me and I sort of went, mm. Yeah, it's very, it's very science-y, very sci-fi. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a, a nerdy bloke fi- flick, kind right, of like action okay. sci-fi. Right. I don't know, but it's a great film mm. and it's all about time dilation and um, that there's a, there's a big portion of the movie that talks about like uh, explains kind of like time dilation because they go to another planet and time slows down, they come back and everybody's oh. age. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. And then um, my housemate Fred came back and, and basically – just he just bro scienced time dilation to me and, and the theory of relativity in about the space of an hour on like a Friday uh, Friday evening at about eleven PM. God. And then yeah, and then I spent the rest of the night just I was just fascinated. And then since then it's it kind of has rekindled uh, my just quest for learning. It's really a great feeling to have when you you're just fascinated by the world, I feel like. I feel like mm. you'd be right in the thick of that. You oh know, yeah, considering I love, you just missed out on thirty-five years of it. Well, see, that's what I and see. I do. I feel like I've got to just keep on learning. And see, yeah. like when um, the lecturer for the new for the um, uni to, uh, the uni subject that I studied, mm-hmm. when he contacted me and he's been talking to me and stuff, it's just like, like, and then we did the course. It's just like, wow, like there's so much there. There is so much. And I'm just like, wow, I have to know about this and that and this yeah. and that and like, what about this and why that and. You know, and I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And I love talking to people and hearing about stuff, hearing about their, you know, like their past life or, you know, mm-hmm. what they yeah, what the they're stories. interested in, yeah. their stories. I love that. Their beliefs. Um, 
I know I got into trouble a few times when I first came out of the, you know, like when I first left the cult and I was venturing into the world and, you know, like I, I learned that you're not supposed to ask questions about politics, religion <laughs> and money because, you know, people get a bit uptight. Yeah. But for me, see, like I was just, you know, like I mean I was learning and I mean I still am. Like I mean if I asked you, you know, like, why did you vote Labor? It's not for you to just go, oh, my God, well, you know, my whole family have, have voted for Labor since whenever mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. I just want to know, well, do you vote Labor because your family always has or yeah, – I don't believe that statement at all. I don't believe you, know, I don't I just, believe you never talk about science uh, – sorry, politics, religion or money. Plus, yeah. Because never talk about um, politics, religion or money if you don't know how to have a conversation. Yeah. Like, realistically, if you're not an idiot, you should be – anything should be on the table. Well, that's you know? what I reckon. Yeah. And so like, I just, just learn felt- how to converse in a, in, a, in a respectful way like a normal adult and you'll probably be able to talk about, you know, most taboo it, topics. Well, see, that's, that was the thing. I found it really hard because people thought that I was attacking them. But, I mean, for me, it was just about, okay, so you vote Liberal or Labor. Why? Is it mm-hmm. because your family always has? Mm-hmm. Have you questioned why you still do? Mm-hmm. Like, does just because you do doesn't make the party like the party's obviously changed. Yeah, and so it's a you know a lot of things that we need to talk about. I think that should be open. Yeah, it's open. You know, open channels of dialogue are just going to make the world a, a better, you know, mm. more well-rounded place. If you keep things taboo, if you keep things, you know, yeah, I have a, I have a really big problem. This is a, a bit of a tangent, but like, oh. Th- Things such as like blackface, blackface is terrible and it's something that is a very, very taboo topic but it needs to be talked about, things like that need to be talked about more openly and and so forth because we need to realize that there's mistakes that have happened in the past and there's Mm. things that, that, you know, we're not not comfortable with and so forth but they're okay, you know, Mm. and we have to move on and we have to, you know, learn to live a happy, respectful life to everyone around us. I'm glad that's a, that's a, yeah. I have a touchy bit on that blackface thing because this this kid that didn't know anything about blackface that got smashed by the media years ago mm. that I just thought it was just a horrible and just a silly thing to uh, to, to have happened to a young kid. But I'm going on a bit of a tangent. Um, Claire, we have to uh, we have to wrap this up because I want to get to the um, the dessert. Um, the brownie, the, br- the brownies, the brownies over there. <laughs> so <tempting> you. <laughs> yeah. So I've got a couple of questions um, mm. that I normally ask. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm going to ask two questions of mine and one question that uh, my co-host Tommy used to ask when he was on the show. Tommy's moved to Bali since. Right. That's a good question. I think it'll be good. Go. Um, so my first question is um, your dream travel destination anywhere on the planet. What's the favorite place you've been and why? Favorite place I've been? Um, well, I love England. I haven't mm-hmm. traveled much. Mm-hmm. I've only been I've been to England twice and Bali once. Mm-hmm. But I love England because of the history. Mm-hmm. Like I just I am fascinated by like my husband even, you know, like when we went into the Three Tons pub in York and I'm just like, Oh my god, I'm feel I'm feeling the stones and just going, Oh my god, who sat here? And Mark's yeah. going Mark's going the Vikings. Please don't do that. <laughs> that looks weird. Yeah. And I'm like, but you don't know who it was. What did they talk about? Yeah. You know? Ragnar Lothbrook. Yeah, maybe. that's right. So yeah. I love, but I mean, I, I want to travel all over because I love I love living history as in, mm. you know, I'm there and I can imagine it and I'm yeah, hearing seeing it. it and feeling seeing, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I cool. love it. You'd love South America. That's always my favorite part of the world. Yeah. So many ancient ruins and, um, <sighs> so, yeah. and, and, and so forth that you can really kind of, you can feel yeah, how they would have, how that, you know, how it would have all gone on around you. 
Really cool. Um, okay, my next question is um, any book that you like to recommend? Obviously, we can plug your book later and we've plugged it already. Any book, books that you like to recommend to people that oh. can, be any, can be anything, can be an autobiography, be comic book, whatever? Um, look, I, one book that I really read and got a lot out of was um, Pamela Stevenson's um, autobiography, The Unvarnished the unvarnished truth or the unvarnished untruth. I can't remember. Varnished untruth maybe, but look it up, Pamela Stevenson. Yep. Um, I got a lot out of that actually. Uh, I do like reading autobiographies because I like to, you know, pick tidbits from other people's lives, but hers really resonated because I felt like, you know, she was a bit of a, you know, she'd been portrayed as a bit of a two-bit actress and Mm -hmm. a bit seedy, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But then when I read her book, I'm thinking, oh, hell, you know, I feel like, uh, there was a lot of similarities there for myself. You know, she was naive and in a lot of ways and different things that happened to her. And I thought, oh, okay, then that's okay. I'm not not as backward as I first thought, yeah. so that's okay. <laughs> I'm only slightly backward. Yeah, just slightly <laughs> backward instead of being fully backward. So, yeah. You know? Yeah. So that was oh, good. cool. Um, and lastly, um, if you had three people that you could invite to dinner, dead or alive, who would they be and why? Oprah. Oprah, yeah. Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama. Um, Maya Angelou, and it has to be a fourth one. All right, all right. Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle. Is Meghan Markle? She's the Duchess of, <laughs> yeah. of Sussex. Yeah, right. Now, the reason why, and I know people probably say, oh, my God, you know, you know but for me, um, each of those women are strong. They, are, they have their truth. They are comfortable with themselves. I love, I love how they include others. I love how they are helping women um, like really rise to the fore but without being man bashers. There's no need because, yeah. I mean, I call myself a feminist and, I mean, I've got five daughters so, you know, girls rule. <laughs> However, we're, we're not the kind of feminists that, you know, are man bashing because that's not fair. Yeah. It's not fair and it's not right. Yeah. So we are so i just think that those four women they're strong they are powerful but they're powerful in a beautifully feminine way and mm-hmm. they are able to change the world and really help people to reflect on themselves and they bring that kind of beauty and compassion and empathy to the world and i really like i really like those four wow that's a great answer i feel like there's a whole another conversation that we could have right right here now about the um all more of what you talked about, what you're doing right now in this day and age and empowering women and so forth. Mm. But unfortunately, it's going to have to be another time. So, Well, let's do it. Yeah, bloody oath. We'll do it. Yeah, I'll fly up again. Or you can come down to Melbourne this time and I'll cook you some toast or something. Okay. <laughs> this can be part one. We can yeah, do yeah. part two. Yeah, absolutely. How's that? For sure. I'll be keen. I'll definitely be keen. Cool. Um, all right, Claire. So um, before we go, where can people find you? Anything you want to plug? Right. Uh, you can find me at www.clairashman.com. That is my website. So you can actually – there's a, a page on there where you can click and um, it'll take you to Amazon for my um, ebook, and you can order the paperback. And um, I'm also on Instagram as Claire Ashman Speaker mm-hmm. and I have a Facebook – a public Facebook page. So people can, people can ask me questions and if you read the book uh, and you have any questions whatsoever – I'm actually answering them with little videos because cool. I like the interaction and I like people to ask questions. And just as one question to be answered, this is me, First <laughs> Communion, Easter Sunday, 1976. 
So there you go. For those listening on uh, on iTunes, um, you'll never know what she was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Claire. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. That was great. Awesome. And uh, that's a wrap. All righty, gang. Thanks for listening. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by heading to our Patreon. Uh, that is Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Adventure Fit. At that page, you can uh, you can donate as little as $1 per month up to uh, $25 per month. So that's obviously a financial way to support the show, but obviously we don't expect everybody to do that. So otherwise, you can support the show. We're just sharing the show if you really liked it, telling a friend, commenting on our social media, all that kind of stuff. Just, um, yeah, basically sharing the love. That's always really helpful for us. And, uh, yeah, if you want anything from the show notes, they can be found at adventurefittravel.com forward slash radio. You can also get 10% off at trueprotein.com.au using the code ADVF and 10% off at adventurefittravel using the code radio. Cool, guys. See you next week.